It's just on the surface if it doesn't scare you a little bit to put it down. If it scares you a little bit, then that you should probably write it down. On this week's episode of You Are a Storyteller, Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan talk about writing from a place of truth and what happens when you find the courage to mine the depths of your own true stories. We're going to talk about hang-ups. Mm-hmm. All those little things, speed bumps that kind of get in the way. And uh, I mean, for you, having taught for so many years and so many different kinds of students, like different levels and, you know, where they're at, you know, from folks that are like just now starting to think maybe I'd want to do this to professionals to high-end consulting for some of the biggest people out there. So uh, we wanted to kind of look at what are some of the top things that kind of stand in folks' way, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the goal yeah. this week, okay? Yeah. Um, don't really know where this is going to go because it's really going to be a conversation about them. Right. Right. Um, but as we were kind of assembling this list – was, did you have anything in mind as far as like why you thought this would be a good thing to talk about? Well, um, after, I don't know how long I've been teaching, 20-something years, yeah. I think, around in there, I don't get any new questions. Like, they're new to them. So the people asking me the questions think, I think I got one. You never, you know, it's like, Here's oh. Here's a zinger. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, that one. You know, uh-huh. so what what happens is I've answered a lot of these questions. Maybe I've answered that question 100 times or 200 times or 300 times. And so I have an answer, and it makes me look like a genius. But, uh-huh. but it's only because yeah, I've answered, answered it 300 answered, times. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, so that's the illusion of, of, uh, of uh, having answered a question a bunch of times. But because of that, I know there's a pattern. Usually those questions come with a personality type. So mm-hmm. you can thin slice and somebody asks a certain question and I go, oh, okay, I know what kind of learner this is. Yeah. You know, this is going to be – some people have to challenge. That's the way they learn. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? They look for – you tell them a Just rule and they tested. go for the exception. Mm-hmm. Because they – it's like – it's called I call it beat the teacher. Like <laughs> yeah. I have a thing that says that's not true. It's like, okay – you, but you haven't internalized and learned the thing. You right. just now you've disproved the principle, and now you don't have to learn it. I guess I don't right. really understand that way of thinking, but there are a lot of people who have to learn that way. Hmm. Um, so I've you know, there's that kind of person. There's the person who needs to be different or quirky, or you know, there's that kind of person. <laughs> what's a quir- What's a quirky? What does that mean? Help me understand what that means. Um, is it with the kind of stories they're making? Where they're yeah, like- sometimes they well they need to be contrarians, right? Because uh-huh. Here's the thing. Uh, we'll, we'll get more into this, but it's an ego-based thing, right? So here's what they're afraid of. Well, if I do everything you say the way I'm supposed to do it, then my stuff will be just like everybody else's stuff. Oh, okay. Right? So how do I differentiate my stuff from everybody else's stuff? Maybe I'll just be different for different sake, hmm. right? So my characters will be really quirky. And then um, that way people can see that I'm there. Yeah, right? it has nothing to do with the story. No, but yeah, you just want people to see. There's a puppeteer working this, yeah. right? Well, you see that with directing a lot. You see, where it all you're the like, time. he didn't have to do that with the camera, or she didn't have to do oh. X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. But the ca- the director's almost screaming, "Notice me! Notice me! Look at me direct! Right. Look mm-hmm. at me direct!" And there's a look at me right. Look at me right. Look how clever that dialogue was. Is but would two mm-hmm. people even have that conversation? Yeah, but is it true? Yeah, no. But and is it serving the story? No. Yeah, but but it's getting attention. Right? Look how much attention I'm getting. So, you know, so the, uh, a lot of the uh, tour stuff is usually around folks who do that type of... Uh, yeah. Like, if I think of, like, where somebody's like, oh, have you seen X, Y, and Z stuff? And I watch it. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what to do with it. But 
I guess I'm supposed to like them because they were because they have a style, right? Style, right? Right. Um, and style is a ego based way of of creating, mm. thinking about style first, because you're trying to get attention. Yeah. Look at me do this thing. Right. Right. Instead of As doing, it, doing the thing. Yeah. Do it and do it well. Yeah. Um, it's look at me do it. Right. So a lot of times you'll get people who are very interested in that part of it. So mm. well, you're telling me to do it this way. But then it'll be just like everybody else's thing. So I'm going to do it a completely different way. Not because that's what the story needs or that's because, you know, or that's what the the theme of my piece needs. Mm -hmm. But it's because what I need to make me feel good about what I'm doing. Right. You know, um, so that's a trap people fall into all the time. So you have the kind of contrarian, like, well... What about this, 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 and this, Mm -hmm. right? Whack-a-mole style. Mm -hmm. Let's see if you can get them. And then you have the kind of style first. I think style first is a great way of saying that. Yeah. Folks who are just like, oh, I got to make sure that there's polka dots in every movie I do or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Is there any other types of learners that you get a lot of these questions from? Um, Those are the two basic ones. Maybe others will come to me as we talk, but those are the two basic ones. And here's the thing. They ended up being super helpful because it led to some really good conversations. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's not saying that's a bad way of learning. You learn the way you learn, but a lot of these come from these types of things. Well, there was a guy in one of the classes we did who I think was the first style, mm-hmm. the contrarian. Mm-hmm. It was funny because watching you go, you to talk mm-hmm. actually led to a lot of really great dialogue. Sure. Because eventually he conceded. Right. And by the last class, he was one by the last class, he was like, How's, how have I never taken this before? <laughs> right? Yeah. But right. the way he learned your light, you're right. It was like, man, he had to say something all the stinking time. And everybody just sit there going like, can we please just move on with the class? But it also did, you know. Well, sometimes it does. Um, and that's because I've done it for Maybe a long time. Maybe I got lucky. Sometimes it's guy. because I've done it for a long time. Yeah. And I kind of know, oh, this is that kind of learner. And I, and I know. At first it was really, it really bothered me. Yeah. Right. I'm just trying to teach a class. Just. You know, just listen to it. You don't have to believe everything I say, and you know. But um, but there's a it's it's it can be kind of confrontational, and that can be difficult. But um, usually, uh, it's not like I just thought this stuff stuff up one day. It's years and years of of learning it. So usually, it breaks down pretty quickly um, because their resistance. It's a very strange thing. It's like I said to a person one day. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I was getting frustrated, and and I. I laid out a principle. I don't know what it was. And he didn't believe in it. He didn't think it had to work that way. And I and I, I said, well, I thought about it for 30 years. Can't you think about it for 30 seconds before you disagree? <laughs> like, it's a weird, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I was. You can't even take a coffee break and come back. Yeah. yeah. It's like, just think about it for a minute. Don't, uh-huh. you know, I'm not just, you know, I, it's really important to me that my students take something away, that they learn something. Yeah. Um, it's really important to me. It's not a, that's not about my ego. That's about, I want to give them value. I want like, oh, I took that class and I got something I can use. Yeah. That's important to me. But it's interesting when people resist that. Well, one thing, and just because I think it's worth noting if you don't mind talking about it, because it's this is something we've never talked about before on the show that I think is actually super interesting just from your own personal story of like, how did you get into teaching? Are you willing to do? You, are you okay with talking about that? I can't. Yeah, I can talk. about I just it. think it's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Like you, you weren't going. Hey, man, I want to be a teacher. You no. had a friend tell you. We'll really ask you if you would, right? Yeah. Well, it was a strange thing because uh, so I learned this stuff so I could do it, right? I I um I was lucky. 
I think, because of when I was coming up. When I was growing up, I read all the interviews with all the filmmakers, and they were all the 70s guys and, and before. And they all had more of a method, I think, to their um, to their madness. There was a there was a way that they thought about things. They thought about the audience uh, in a different way. Um, and so I've said this before to people, but if you read interviews with uh, directors and screenwriters before, they talked a lot about the audience. Mm. Um, and if you read, if you randomly read a filmmaker's uh, an interview now, they say I a lot. Yeah. So I wanted to see this. I've never seen this. I I I I I. You read an interview with Hitchcock or something, they talk about how what they do affects an audience. Well, an audience responds to X, an audience responds to Y. That changes how you make a movie yeah, and how you write a script. So I was lucky, I think, because of when I was coming up. And I, from what I understood, you were supposed to have a, a method, a way of thinking, a yeah. methodology, right? So, and I thought that was basic equipment that you had to know in order to work. It was just it. part of being a professional. That's what I thought. Then I moved to L.A., almost nobody knew any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and what I found was I would be talking to somebody who, this is before I was a teacher or anything, I'd be talking to somebody who was a professional, sometimes pretty high up. Right. Uh, in a casual conversation. I remember I was on a plane once, and I was sitting next to a writer who was an award-winning writer, pretty high up writer, and we were talking. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm sitting next to this guy. And we're talking, and I think we're having a conversation. And at one point he says, do you mind if I take notes? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, and and that kind of thing was started to happen more frequently. Uh-huh. And so, um, anyway, one day um, a friend of mine says, hey, they're looking for a screenwriting teacher at this organization that used to exist. It doesn't exist anymore. And... Uh, Maybe you could teach it. They asked me, but I think you should teach it. And I needed the money, so I started teaching it. And I didn't know I had a knack for teaching it or anything, except for people would take notes when I taught. Uh Uh, But um, what happened was I taught the class, and the first class, somebody told me, uh, you should write a book. Um, I was getting uh, cards like from students after the class was done, and all the other teachers who taught there said, we don't get cards. Nobody ever sent us cards. So I I had um, a, a knack for it, for the teaching part. Was that surprising to you that it went so well? Yeah, a little bit. As somebody who was like, oh, oh cool. A I little was bit. trying to be helpful, but. I- yeah. It's kind of a, teaching's kind of a family business. Huh. But I didn't, you know, I had an aunt, I have an aunt who's a teacher and she, or she's a retired teacher now, but she's like, well, you should teach. You should teach. And I always thought, why would I teach? Like, it didn't make any sense to me. Huh. Um, it was not anything I was interested in doing, um, but has been uh, way more rewarding than I'd ever, I could have never anticipated. But you also had a mentor, right, who like was re- who asked you to take over a program, right? I mean, oh, because well, that's that, different. That was really interesting to me, too. That was different, yeah. That was, he, well, that was Stuart Stern. Yeah. And Stuart Stern, Stuart Stern wasn't a mentor in the way that people think of a mentor. I had a, a, a sort of a filmmaking mentor. Um, Stuart, I met when I had already been doing this for a long time. I mean, Stuart had been doing it a lot longer. So Stuart Stern's the screenwriter of Rebel Without a Cause and the movie Sybil, if people know that, um, and a bunch of other things. But uh, I think nominated a couple of times. Yeah, real Oscars legend. I and mean, won yeah. an Emmy and for, for Sybil. Yeah, real screenwriting legend. Anyway, um, I met him 
um, I had been doing this for a long time, and we had very different ways of thinking about this, Stuart and I. But um, he was not a mentor in that way. He was just a mentor in that he, he couldn't have been a better human being. And so, um, and I learned from watching how he was with human beings mm. and how he, um, what he invested in his work. But uh, I don't think I was far off of that, but it taught me, he taught me to really, Stuart put his whole soul into his work. And uh, I got that from him, uh, but sort of indirectly, just watching him. He was never a, a, an official mentor in that yeah. way. He was just a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, we were close, but he was, he was a friend of mine. And um, he was teaching at a school, the film school, and um, I was not there. And uh, I was just teaching on my own. And he called me one day and he said, uh, if anything ever uh, happened to me, would huh. you take my place? Which, that's high praise. Yeah, that's like sure. one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so, yeah, so. And so that's how you ended up at the film school. That's how I, well, yeah, that was the, that was, yes, that's how I ended there. Ended up there sort of permanently. I was. Yeah. I had taught one other class there, just uh, I filled in for um, Tom Skerritt was teaching right me. right and i filled in for tom tom called me and said hey will you fill in and i filled in for tom but that was the only the only time i taught there man talk about a cool guy to learn from i once saw the interview that you interviewed him for something yeah i interviewed him for a film festival film thing. festival and it was really interesting to see you two together because you both know so much about film so going back and forth mm -hmm. and his life was he had a crazy life yeah. yeah Stuart had a crazy life so getting to be around all that talent and um and so Really, like with all these years of experience and, and, and teaching and different, you know, like, again, it's what's funny, too, is I know some of the folks that you work with that we're not going to be able to talk about on the show. Right. So you have these high echelon like, you know, showrunners and, you know, writers and directors and things like that. But then you have this brand new folks. And so some of these things that we're going to talk about today are really just things that came up over and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so first thing we're going to talk about is really like rules versus principles. Can you talk about why that, what do you mean by that? First of all? Right. Uh, well, a lot of, t a lot of the time what happens is you'll tell somebody a principle about how story works, right? This is three act structure and this is how it works. And this is what your, your armature is. And that's how, you know, and people will fight against that. These, uh, people who want to be unique, mm. right, will fight against these things. Why do I have to do it that way? Yeah. Why can't I do it the way I want I to I use five-act structure. Or right, whatever, or yeah, right. whatever, right? So, uh, or they'll bring that, What we've talked about that before, what that means, right? It's all the same pie. You have so many slices of a pie. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. matter if you slice a pie into 25 slices or three. Yeah. It, it's the same pie, right. right? So people use, they'll say five-acts, but it's still three. It doesn't right. matter. Um, Anyway, um, but they're trying to find some way of being different. Right. And so they, they think of these um, these principles as rules that box them in. Right. Right. Well, you're saying I have to do this. Right. Well, what happens if I don't feel like it? Right. And that's not about um, the piece you're working on. That's about you. Again, that's ego-based, right? That's about I want, I want to stand out. I want to do something different. So I don't want to follow those rules. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's... You know, there's this idea of, uh, and, and when you're a teacher, you can't help it, but people think of you as a, an authority, right? Right. Um, so the idea of questioning an authority, like, that makes sense to people, like, question authority. But I think that it makes sense to question authority, but I think you ought to evaluate the authority you're questioning, right? You can't yeah. just blindly question authority. I think that's as, as 
big a mistake as blindly following, hmm. right? Blindly questioning too. Like, well, there might be some wisdom here you're not taking in because you're so busy thinking that um, that challenging this person is more important than taking in what they say and right. evaluating it. Right. Right. Is there anything I can take from this exchange that would actually help me work better? Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about even just those words, rules versus principles, like um, why'd you pick those words, right? So can you give me like a for instance of... Yeah, and I think somebody else probably used those words too. So I don't want to take credit from anybody, whoever it was. But, um, but the idea is that you know, a rule is by page 10, X happens. Right, right? okay, yeah, like, yeah, you see that all the time in right. books, you know. Yeah. By page 15, this has to happen. Or yeah, whatever. and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. Usually, it's pretty close to what it will be if you're doing a good job anyway, which is yeah. where those things come from. Um, they're, they're more observations than rules. Okay, so exp- unpack that a little bit. So so when you say there's a... Pr- Call it, let's use the word principle. The, here's a principle. You know, by page 20, this would happen. How do you think they actually came up with that principle? Well, I can tell you. Um, uh, Sid Field, who uh, – and there are a lot of people – here's what's interesting. Uh, I came along at the right time for this uh, book. This book showed up in 1979, 1980, uh, screenplay. Sid Field's book. Yeah. Screenplay by – yeah, by Sid Field. And – it, it did some good and it did some bad, right? Um, but I came along at an interesting time. So it came out, I guess I was 15 when it came out. I'd already written a screenplay by that time. And I was reading screenplays. And so I got his book. I read his book. And he would say, on page 25, X happens. And I didn't have – I was young enough and, and not as many people were into film as are now – and so it was um, not a lot of people were talking about it a lot. So this was like gold to me. Yeah. And I remember um, it would say by page 25, this happens. And uh, and he said basically he had read a bunch of screenplays and that and the good ones seemed to follow this thing. So I had a bunch of screenplays that I had just bought in and your room studying. Yeah. yeah. So I just picked them up. I had Planet of the Apes. I'd look at it and I go. Yeah, there it is. There it is on page 45, the thing he talked about. There it is on page 60, the thing he talked about. It was all in there. So, um, and that was before Sid Field had written his book, right? right. So they weren't following his principles, right? So, so it just seemed to work out that way. So that's what he was talking about. What's interesting is the screenwriters who are older than me will, will just dismiss the whole thing. That, none of that's true. Why do people follow that? Doesn't make any sense. But I would read these interviews with those older screenwriters and here's what they would say. So Sidfield says, page 25 to 27, that's basically the end of your first act, your first sort of plot point, yeah. right? And then you get into your second act. What, do you, what, you, what, you, what I find with older screenwriters, if you read an interview with them, they'll say, well, I don't believe any of that stuff, but around a quarter of the way into your screenplay, something ought to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, the so, curtain or what, yeah, yeah, right. So he's like, you're saying the same thing, you just don't like the page count? Yeah. Like, it's a very strange thing. So that principle uh-huh. seems, to, uh, seems to apply whether or not people want to believe it or not, right. it seems to be the way it works out. And to your point, what you said a second ago was like, okay, well, hear the principle and test it. Right. Do you have a stack of scripts in your house? If you don't, that's a problem if yeah. you want to be a writer. Go home and open it up to page between page 25 and 27 and see if you notice the same thing that Sid noticed and you noticed. And, yeah. And it's like, you know, these things come from somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully. The problem is um, people don't understand 
they don't take it in and go, okay, let's let me let me study this and see how this works and why it works the way. That's all I did. I I went, okay, well, why is it this way? Mm-hmm. And studied it and tried to take it in. Um, instead of, um, I didn't have, I wasn't old enough to have a bunch of habits that I had to fight against or theories about how I thought it worked. You yeah. know, I I thought, well, here's a person they're professional. I'm a kid. I'm just going to listen to what they say. Right. And so I was able to take it in. Now, over the years, there's things that people have said that I go, nah, I don't believe in that. I don't know what what, what they are. Yeah. But nah, I've, I've tested te- it. Yeah. And, yeah. So you yeah, just take it out and test it and see. But this sort of instant dismissal, because you don't like the way that sounds or it's too formulaic in your head or something, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't make any sense to me to dismiss that. Here's a person who spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. You know, the least you can do is try to take it in. It, it will prove itself right or wrong if you test it. What's funny to me about that, and I mean, in one way or another, we've talked about this quite a bit, but like if you were a mason or I don't know, you built boats. Okay. You're, as you learn to build boats, there'll be principles. Right. Well, it should be watertight. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like, well, you know, there needs to be a fulcrum. We need to, there's usually a center of mass so that doesn't tip. Off. Like, there's going to be things, no matter what you do. If you're an architect, if you're a plumber, well, you know, well, water should, runs downhill. There's <laughs> like, and it's funny to me how, imagine if you were teaching a class on masonry or whatever and somebody's like what do you mean you, have, you don't have to stick the bricks together i just i think if you just shove them together you would be like that's crazy but in it you know what i mean isn't yeah. it kind of funny that you go well they're principles it's also they're hard won principles right for the most part i would assume somebody who really knows their stuff you know like you said you're rod serling knew his stuff and if rod put it in page 26 it's there's some it's at least worth thinking about right if you apply that same type of contrarian kind of logic to any other craft you're trying to learn it's kind of silly mm-hmm. right yeah but but for whatever reason it's again it's ego well how do i stand out the difference is usually a, a person laying bricks is not trying to stand out yeah right they're trying to do their job they're trying to do their job <laughs> they're not trying yeah. to like uh-huh. nobody everybody's going to go look at the way that person you know, they may try to impress another bricklayer, but yeah. it's going to be. But the bricklayer would notice it, and a regular person would just think, "Yeah, it looks like it." But the, the bricklayer who was trying to impress another bricklayer would probably do it by being really good at adhering to the principles. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. Look how well that grout does. Uh, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, right. You know, but yeah. It's like, yeah, I used straw instead of grout. And the bricklayer's like, that's an awful idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I was the first one. And you're like, sure, yeah. you can be the first one. And when that comes collapsing down around your ears, right? Yeah. Um, you, you, by the time you were 15, you'd already written a screenplay? Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. Yeah, but still, it's pretty, what'd your mom think? Like, would you, was she like, oh, this is cool, you know, my kid, if my kid had written a screenplay before he was 15, I'd be like, that's awesome. Like. Yeah, I think my mom was always very enthusiastic about the stuff I was doing. I don't remember what she said about that specific screenplay, but I'd written it with a friend of mine. And That's cool. Yeah, it was just a ripoff of of, uh, of Capricorn One. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know Capricorn no, One? Uh-uh. It's a movie by Peter Himes where uh, uh, there are these three astronauts. It was also a ripoff of Planet of the Apes. And, <laughs> Because there's three astronauts and they they crash on a planet. And I was going to do a bunch of stop motion and you know, but uh, with kind of dinosaur creatures and stuff. That's that great. None of it ever happened, but we did write the script. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, uh, Capricorn One is a is a movie where um, uh, they fake a Mars landing. Oh, um, the c- conspiracy movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. That by f- 
15 when you got the book, you're like, oh, I've done this before. Yeah. Let me see what this guy says. Yeah. Did, when you read that, did you push back against it or were you no. kind of soaking it up? No. I didn't have any reason to push back against it. Right? I mean, maybe I didn't, I didn't know enough to push back against it. You know, I, like, it's hard to teach people who already have a methodology, even if that methodology mm. um, is flawed, right? It's the way that they view the world now. And so a lot of times if you're teaching people who, yeah. uh, and in fact, the worst people to teach are the people who come in and tell me all the things they already know. Okay. Right? So they'll come in and they say, well, um, I'm taking this class because I want to learn how to write a screenplay, but I already know a lot because I, I have, uh, you know, I'm an Eng- I was an English major. Or I already, you know, I'm a, I'm a poet, so I already know. It's like, well, what are you doing here? Yeah, like, it's a waste of money. Yeah. They're not willing to, to lose that stuff and start to have a beginner's mind, right? They're not mm-hmm. winning, willing to come in and, and... Yeah, beginner's mind. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, that's a principle. Hmm. It's a Zen sort oh, of principle. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, to have a beginner's mind every time you learn something. So... So going back, so you got that book and there's all these new principles new to you, right? Yeah, they uh, were new-ish. Yeah, because you'd read so many scripts up to that point? Yeah, I'd read scripts and I'd been studying uh, the way things were structured by, you know, audio taping them and listening to listening to them. And so before I ever knew the term first act, second act, third act, I knew what they were. Yeah. So maybe that helped, you know, and I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to make art. Maybe that's part of it. Too. Help me understand that. Well, like I love the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I was like, boy, if I could do that, I'd be happy. If I could write like that, I liked Star Trek. I was like, if I could write like that, I'd be happy. Like the Twilight Zone, if I could write. So I was just trying to do what they were doing. Because you I liked was, it. Yeah, I wasn't trying to um, be, you know, king of the world writer guy. I was just trying to, like, uh, yeah, that's, if I could write like Star Trek, I'd be happy. If I could, you know what I mean? Like, so I'll just do what they do. So I wasn't trying to, my ego was not, my ego took a backseat. Part of that maybe is uh, dyslexia, right? It comes up every show, I think, dyslexia. But I think it's important because I think. I just thought it was funny you wanted to write as a dyslexic, you know, because writing's hard. A lot of, but there's so many dyslexic writers. Sure, but I, when I try to write, writing's difficult for me. I can do it, but it's just, you know, I have a method of doing it. Right. Right. That's, you know, usually writing and reading are usually a little bit more difficult right. for, than for other folks. Obviously, there's a lot of very talented people that do it. Right. I just think it's interesting at that age that you weren't turned off to it. You know what I mean? Because I could also see you focusing more on the visual side. But for you, it was like you were like, no, I want to write like the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I want to write. Yeah. Just an interesting decision is all. Oh, yeah. I wish it was a decision. I don't think it worked that way. Huh. You know, and I don't think it was. Um, I would say that writing, one of the reasons I have the focus I have on story is because the stories were more important to me than the writing, if that makes any sense. I wanted to know how stories worked. So I was not a wordsmith. I'm not a wordsmith writer. I'm not a person who's like, look at the way I turn a phrase. You know, that means almost nothing to me. Right. What matters to me is the story itself. What I find is the people that are really good with um, turning a phrase are not that good at story structure. Like they don't sometimes don't even know what a story is at all. 
I'm not saying that's always true. It's often true. But what's interesting about that was uh, right, reading scripts is hard for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I read patterns. That was easy. It was easy for the me to read that. Like Rod the Rod Serling, the patterns. Yeah. And then I told you, not last week, the week before last, I read Freeman. Here are the script. And I read it one sitting. Because mm-hmm. I could just I could read it. Right. And I didn't have to go, wait, hold on a second. What? what? Mm-hmm. It was easy to read, just like the Rod Serling script was easy to read for somebody who has a learning disability. Right, yeah. You know, because a lot of times I'll have to read things once or twice, or, you right. know, a little bit, you know, what did I say? Yeah. Um, so you're like, you're not a wordsmith, but it, it was really easy to read. Yeah, well, I try to be easy. That would be the focus side or, or, or whatever. I, yeah, I try to be easy to read. That's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a lot of dyslexics write that way. Hmm. And so, I mean, it's just, so you started writing so early, right? Um, which actually kind of brings me to another question we, we came up with, um, which was pretty much like gear, around gear, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of technical questions seem to come up where people are take a, a writing class and what they want to know is like how to format a script or something, which right. is which is so far down the line. Can you talk about how that's a stumbling block that maybe it's just kind of a... Well, yeah, it's... Um People want to know about equipment a lot of the time. It's a way to, we used to, like there was a thing when you, when you, when you show a film or a short film or you're a festival or something, one of the things that comes up when there's the Q&A, one of the first questions anybody will get, and filmmakers joke about this, but somebody will stand up and say, what did you shoot that on, right? Uh-huh. As if that matters, right? Yeah, as if, anything it, do with anything, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the first thing they ask. It sounds like a a good question, but it's actually not a very good question unless yeah. there's nothing about the piece that's any good except, boy, that sure did look nice. Yeah, right? sure. Right, you know, um, but hopefully there's more to it than that, right? Yeah. So, um, so people are focused on equipment. I, I've been to Comic Cons where people ask artists, you know, what paper, what pencil. Yeah, you, you use know. a Wacom tablet or you use it whatever. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's like without learning the, like, you know, you should probably learn how to draw. You should probably learn how to write. If you know how to tell a story, um, the format, which is what people get hung up on. I've had, I had a, uh, my barber once, not my barber anymore, but (laughs) my barber once said he wanted to write a movie. He goes, uh, I want to write a movie. I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, uh, I don't know how to, to make it look though. I don't know how to, you know, put it on the page. I already know what I want people to say. Hmm. He's like. But you don't know anything about writing a movie. Like, yeah. knowing what you want people to say, if you know anything about screenplays, is still not knowing anything. So he didn't know screenwriting. He wanted to write dialogue. Yes. But he didn't have a movie No idea. purpose. Yeah. Just, hey, man, I got some good dialogue. I have some things. For, yeah. I don't even know what good dialogue is. I just like the is. line, he's not my barber anymore, and then you don't explain it. And keep, <laughs> it's like, there's a, hold on a second. You got to follow that up. Like, no, he's just not my barber. Did he cough when he no, was just, Oh, okay. He's just not my barber. You know? Yeah. 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 Not you a, put a hat on. He's not my barber anymore. I was expecting a story. No, but, there's no story. Oh, okay. He's just not my barber. <laughs> you know, you go through yeah. barbers in your life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It was a good setup. I was expecting you to like, yeah. Oh, okay. he's not my barber anymore. For, I can make you know, something up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he was focused more on like the dialect side, but on, on this, on this piece, you know, it's the equivalent of like, a, you know, what, what software do you use to write your yeah. books? Stephen King says something similar in his writing book where he says, you know, somebody always asks what kind of, the equivalent of what kind of pencil do you yeah. use? I also think um, when it comes to things like formatting, mm-hmm. that's, it's so easy to spend your time on 
on dumb stuff like technology. Oh, yeah, it is. Because it's a way to, to hide. Yeah, I think so, right? too. It's such a good way to hide because it feels like you're doing something like, well, I'm I'm trying to figure out <laughs> if I want to shoot anamorphic or if I want right, to shoot, yeah. you know, what, what this mm-hmm. thing or that thing or whatever. And you go like, ah, you're like, okay. That's way easier than writing. Oh, of course Almost it is. everything is way there was a line that somebody used to say. It might have been you who said, "Like you can always get a writer on the phone." I can't remember who. I think it might have been. Um, it might have been uh, uh, Stephen J. Cannell. Oh yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, you can always get a writer on the phone. Why? Because any excuse to not have to be sitting in front of your computer paper, whatever. Yeah. And so some of that excuse might be like, well, I mean, I would have written a masterpiece screenplay by now, but I really got to figure out how to format the thing. <laughs> right. It's like okay, well, yeah. I, I mean, bet you we can figure out how to format it as soon as you write it down. Yeah. Or as soon as you know all the other things about it, like formatting's nothing. So, yeah. like, I think when William Goldman got his first screenwriting job, he'd never seen a screenplay before, and that's true of a lot of people of that era. They they weren't readily available. Yeah. They didn't know how to. You know, he was a sure. novelist, but he would have seen plays, but he yeah. didn't know what a screenplay looked like. Sure. Right? So, but that's knowing what a screenplay looks like, which is it's not exactly arbitrary, but it. It sort of is, you know, arbitrary. It could look like anything. It just now that we, we have a sort of standardized thing. But that's easy enough to learn. It doesn't mean if you know how to write a story. And you'll see the logic. All yeah. you have to do is get a PDF on at the library. You you can see the logic. That's not the hard part. Yeah. I'm just saying it feels just like, a, yeah, another way to hide. Just another way, a way to hide. Yeah. It's just finding constant things to, you know, whatever. I, was, I had that little camera I was showing you the other mm-hmm. day and I was like, yeah, this thing shoots 4K and it's like a steady cam in your pocket and it's the size of like, I don't know, four pencils or whatever. It's like, there's no, nobody can say anything anymore. Right. Like, there's nothing left to say. Like, I would have shot this or I would have made this if I have a camera or if I had. Right. All the equipment conversations are over. Right. Right. Between phones and things like that. It, it still leads us back to the actual problem. Do you got a story? Well, it's interesting to me because people are hung up on equipment for some reason and again it's a way to hide and you can get proficient at the equipment because it's a purely technical thing yeah and if that's your craft yeah that's that's a hell of a thing but if you're a writer right or a director and it's just a way to hide that's different because i know that we have people watch this that are acs and stuff oh sure that's a dude that's amazing i'm just saying if that's your excuse to not write right yeah yeah um but i'm always i always go back to the silent filmmakers when i think about equipment because I think they did some amazing work yeah. with nothing compared yeah. to what we have. Yeah. With nothing. Yeah. So, you know, so your equipment doesn't matter at all. And there's stuff that Charlie Chaplin did that people still can't do or Keaton did. Yeah. That is amazing. Um, well, the film, what, I mean, what did you make? The film you sold to HBO. Uh-huh. What was your budget on that? Uh, well, I think I, I made it for $1,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it played every, how long did it play on HBO? It was on HBO for two years, my uh, just about every day for two years. Yeah, for a thousand. So it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing you didn't shoot that on seventy millimeter with like you know. No, I did. No, <laughs> really? No. How'd you pull that off? <laughs> well, you know, what I'm you know. I, and I you were sh- talking about the Christmas tree. Tell them about the Christmas tree. Thing. Well, well, okay. before I say that, I have to I have to uh, be nice to the people who worked on the movie because I I did say once to a person I know who does. Uh, costumes and wardrobe and i said i made the film for a thousand dollars and she kind of scoffed because well she was saying but it would have cost more if you had paid oh sure but you had a lot of good friends yeah a lot of artists i'll give you that for sure yeah you wouldn't know what it cost for sure right my only point with that was also when you made that 
it's actually when it comes to at least gear, it's even easier, way easier now. Oh, it's way easier now. Yeah, yeah. That was sort of the beginning of being able to shoot something that didn't look like a soap opera, right? Digitally. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you asked a question. What was it? Oh, I said I was going to say like the Christmas tree thing. That was just problem solving. Oh yeah, we, there's a there's a shot, an archival shot of a of a kid at Christmas. And it was we were shooting, I think, in the summertime, and we didn't have a Christmas tree because they're hard to come by in the summertime. Uh-huh. But I think we got a branch somewhere, and so we just put the branch in the foreground and kind of moved the camera past yeah, it so, and hung fun. an ornament on it or something. But it's just like, yeah, you can figure out how to make it. Yeah. and that, But that's this is what Hitchcock says too, right? Where he's like, I mean, the movie's already over when I'm done writing it. Mm-hmm. I just have to shoot it. Right, pretty right. much, right? Yeah. And so, you know, just, uh, you know, gear, whatever, what kind of pencil do you, whatever the thing is, it's like, what are those, like, um, yeah, ways to hide or things that get in the way of people's progress? Right. Right? Um, because ultimately, when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it kind of brings us to one of our last things, which is just like, writing's hard. Yes. Writing is hard, and so people will avoid, they'll avoid it. They'll even, I think that's one of the reasons people will avoid learning it even. One of the reasons that you can be a contrary, like, it's it, my favorite mm. example of this is, um, and maybe I've talked about it on the show. I know I've written about it. When somebody asked me, she she uh, ran into me at a cafe and she said, uh, "I'm looking for a way to engage an audience. There must be some trick to it. There must be some way of engaging an audience. I'm trying to figure out what that is." And I said, "Well." You should read Hitchcock interviews because Hitchcock was very articulate about how you engage an audience and what engages an audience. And she said, well, I don't like Hitchcock. And that was it. And I was like, oh, she doesn't want a solution to her problem. Right? If she has a solution to her problem, then she'll have to actually execute that. Right. Right? So I gave her a solution. That's not what she wanted. She wanted to dismiss it so that she could continue to have this problem that stopped her from actually producing work. Right. Yeah, because if she actually wanted a solution, she'd go, I, I don't actually like his films, but I'm going to study the heck out of them because there must be something I'm missing. Well, you can't and deny... And then you'll probably end up going, actually, I do like his films. W- yeah. But you can't deny that he engaged audiences. Well, sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. If that's what you're asking... Yeah. Right? Yeah, you go, go, you, you go to the source. Right. right. You can't deny... You can hate him if you want to. Right. But you can't deny that he engaged audiences. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so... So she didn't want to. She didn't want an answer to her. That happens a lot. It just allows you to kind of stay stuck or yeah, not deal with the actual issue. Well, yeah, it's much easier to blame everything, and yeah. you know that's much easier than sitting down yeah. and writing because it's hard. I don't know why it's so hard, but it is. It's a really hard thing to do, um, and everything will stop you. Everything will get in your way. You'll make any excuse not to do help it. Help me. Okay, so help me understand the process for you. A little bit more, right? Okay. Just to kind of help people see um, what it looks like, mm-hmm. right? Freeman or any of these other other pieces, whatever one, you know, mm-hmm. pick one. But like, if you're like locked into it, I know you're about to leave almost for another set amount of time to continue working on some other stuff you're, you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it actually, what does that look like? What does that process look like when you're locked in? Are you ever scared when you're writing? Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you ever like four pages in to, and you have it all lined up and you're going like, I don't know if this is any. Well, that's just being a writer. Okay, and, we'll and, talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, the best writers, when they're in the middle of writing, like there are very few moments when you go, oh man, I'm a genius. Like most of the time, 
And that's almost never. And then the next day you read it and go, I don't know what I was thinking when I thought I was a genius. So, um, but often the worst stuff, you, what you think is the worst stuff, ends up being your best stuff. You, you are <laughs> not a good judge of, of your writing. And uh, part of that is that you, you, you can't be an editor and a writer all at the same time. You can be an editor or you can be a writer, but you can't do both at the same mm. time. And so um, part of that judgment comes from being an editor as you write, which is a bad, you can't do it. So don't do that. But for me, um, and here's what's interesting too about it, by the way. And, and when you have some, um, I don't know if I have success. I don't know what you'd call whatever it is, whatever stage I'm at, right? Where people sort of know me a little bit and I have these books and, and, uh, I consulted these big places. And so, so the stakes seem even higher than when nobody knew who I was, right? So I put something out there and people can evaluate it in a different way. Well, this guy's supposed to be the expert and look, he couldn't even, you know, right? Huh. And so it, it, it can choke you even more, right? Um, if you've got any kind of notoriety around what you do, yeah. right? Um, oh yeah, like if you didn't follow one of your principles. Right, There's yeah. no armature in this, Brian. You're like, uh. Right, people will call you on it, <laughs> yeah, right? right. And so, um, and so you that can choke you. You don't have, you don't feel like you have, have the same freedom to fail. But the truth of the matter is sometimes you're going to fail. None of these things are fail safe. It's not a, you know what I mean? You, mm -hmm. Sometimes you're just going to fall short because that's just the way it works. Yeah. Um, and you just have to be okay with that and move on. Right. So to move through it and move on. So the thing is, of course I have the same fears and insecurities and all those things. And people think it gets easier but it doesn't. The the if you have some, I mean, my friend Stuart Stern when he wrote um, when he won his Emmy, he said he knew when he accepted his Emmy that he was going to quit the job he was working on because he didn't feel like he could do it. Really? Yeah. Because you didn't think he was. Yeah. He it's like it's too much for me. Or like yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you would think so. Well, he accepted the Emmy and was like, oh, I got to get out of here. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's how... That, and he'd already written Rebel Without a Cause, and it was... Oh, yeah, he's... It is what it is yeah, now. Yeah, it is what it is, and it was then what it is, yeah. you know? Um, and he um, uh, he had won, or he had been nominated for an Academy Award before Rebel Without a Cause, so... So for me, I would think at that point, he'd be like, oh, I'm good at this, and I'll... Yeah, but it doesn't work like that. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite, right? Because now people are scrutinizing you differently. Yeah. Right. And now you are trying to reach this like you don't even know how you did it to begin with. Like, how did I write mm. that thing that everybody thought was so great? Yeah. Right. You don't know. So so you don't know if you can do it again. So it, it's its own. It's the thing about it is no matter where you are, it's just a scary thing. So yeah. if you're at the beginning yeah. and you're just it's learning. Scary. It's right. scary. If you're in the middle of it, if you're at the top of it, it's all scary. All of it. Um, because all the eyes, you think Spielberg sits back when a movie's opening up and like, I got this in the bag. <laughs> no, you know, terrifying. He, yeah. it's terrifying, right? It's like, well, I'm ADT yeah. and Jurassic Park yeah, and Steven Schindler's Spielberg, List and sure. you know what I mean? Like, and it, what if nobody likes it? And sometimes yeah. they don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> sometimes they don't like it. I remember Dana was giving a speech, our friend Dana, and she used a quote. I wish I knew the person's name that she was quoting, but the quote was pretty much, um, being anonymous is the best gift you can give an artist because you can make all your mistakes without any, anyone noticing, mm -hmm. right? And I thought that was such a great quote because it made me go, oh, man, you're so lucky. 
Like, if you don't have to worry about that, can you imagine that pressure? Mm-hmm. You know, if the Rod Serling pressure, the Spielberg pressure, the, you know, yeah. whoever. Um, so, but brass tack side, you go like, okay, you you, you sit down and write. What, how do you push through that? Like, what, what, you know what I mean? You're sitting there, you sit down. Right. Phone's off, whatever. Mm-hmm. You have your thing and you're going, oh, man, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, obviously you have it, you would have it outlined, right? I have like, a, I have, <clears throat> I have a. A kind of an outline, yeah. It's so like, how do you walk me through that process? The fear process, getting through the fear. Yeah, the fear side, it. or just actually doing it. Um, it's um, you know what it is. It's uh, it's where the principles help you, right? So you're not you're not in that room all alone, right? <laughs> right? You think you're in that room all alone, sitting in front of your computer or whatever, but you're not. You are in that room with Aristotle and Billy Wilder and Rod Serling. At least I am. That's right. Great. Right. Yeah. You're not in that room alone. And so as long as you listen to their advice, right, <laughs> as long as you want them in the room and you should want those people yeah. in the room with you, then then you you can do it. Right. You're, you're not all by yourself. Right. If wow. you if you have if you know enough about your craft and the people who have come before you, yeah. then what happens is you don't have to take complete ownership for making this choice or that choice you can say well it worked when billy wilder did it and it worked when neil simon did it and it Hmm. worked when shakespeare did it and it worked when herman melville did it or whatever so i'm pretty sure it's going to work for me yeah right so that really helps the more you know about your craft and the history of your craft that you have your craft the more secure you feel in the choices that you've made man that's great i love that because now those principles right Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe you were like, oh, I don't like rules. I don't like principles. It's like, yeah, but don't you want that person in the room with you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because when you're in that room, it gets lonely fast. Yeah. If they're not there. <laughs> but oh, Chekhov's in the room with you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And all those people, you can have them in the room. You just got to study and put them in the back of your head. And Yeah. Right? And that's why the principles will pay off, even if you don't understand them yet. And that would be another piece of advice, right? Like you might hear a principal go like, I don't know how I feel about this. And it's like, well, maybe later on you'll go, oh, man. That I, happens I, a lot. Yeah, I tell people sometimes when I'm teaching, it's like this is sometimes this knowledge is time release, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, uh-huh. you won't get it today, and yeah. you won't get it tomorrow, and maybe you won't you won't get it for a year or two years or ten years, right? What, hmm. Well, sometimes what happens is you've gotten a solution to a problem you haven't run up against yet, so you don't know how to apply that solution. Yeah, right. Then you're like, oh wait a minute, I've hit that wall. I know what this wall is. I know the tool to get through this. Yeah. Right. But you until you until you have hit that wall or had that problem, you don't understand you've been given a solution. And then you go, oh, that letter that like, it was like that letter you, you sent me the other day that Rod certainly wrote to a fan. Right. Right. Who was asking writing advice or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like Rod gives him the writing advice. And it's like, yeah, you stow it away. Maybe someday it'll make sense. Maybe it won't. Right. Yeah. But you'll be glad you have it in your head either way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. Wow, that's really cool. So, so you're in the room. You have all these people with you, mm-hmm. and that that do you picture that? Like, you know, what I mean, like, uh, or or what's the thing that makes you go like, you know what? I know my principles. I know I've done my homework, and you just you just you just yeah. It's just it helps to know that every pretty much maybe Stephen King I don't know doesn't have it, but everybody else sits down. 
and it it's terrifying, right? And maybe it's terrifying for Stephen King. I don't know, but it's a terrifying thing to sit down in that chair and try to live up to this ideal you have in your head about what you should be. Yeah. Right. So you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to try to be Shakespeare or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, which, well, that seems impossible. Yeah. So then it just freezes you, freezes you. Um, and that's frightening. But if you are following principles that you know work, that's really all you can do. Hmm. Right. And if you were using them to tell uh, an emotional truth, Right. So they they sort of um, so that's also the scary thing, telling some emotional truth and putting yeah. it on the page. Right. Doesn't have to be factually true. It doesn't have to be, you know, but but there's some emotional truth that you're getting at. Well, you said somewhere you said uh, if you really want to affect people deeply, you have to tell the truth. Mm hmm. Right. And that's the truth you're talking about. Can you explain what you mean by that emotional truth? What does that mean? The emotional truth is. Um, boy, that's a really hard thing to, you know what? There are things that you write. This happens with actors too, right? Where they're afraid to reveal something about themselves and they usually get hung up. When you're directing actors, that's often where they get hung up. Like, Ooh, I don't know. I was directing a scene from Marty and, uh, there's a scene in Marty um, to, where he says to his mother, his mother's trying to get him to go out on a date, and Marty has a hard time getting dates and going out with women. And at one point he said, um, he kind of blows up at his mother, and he says, uh, look, Mom, a fat, ugly, ugly little man, and whatever it is women like, I don't have it, something like that. And I was working with an actor. I was directing this scene for something, and I was working with this actor, and He's a good actor, and he kept stumbling on that. He couldn't do it, he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it. And then um, later he called me and he said, I'm sorry I couldn't do that. It, it was too much, it was too real, it was too mm. much like me. Um, that's the way I feel, so I, I had a hard time going there. Wow. Yeah, but imagine if he had gone there, given that that's the way oh, he felt. Oh, it would have been felt. dynamite. Right? Yeah. And that's, if it scares you a little bit, because yeah. you think you're telling some deep truth about yourself, yeah. Then that you should probably write it down. And that's what you're looking for. Yeah. So when you sit down to write, you're looking for that. Yes. So you're so you're going. It's almost one of those things where it's like if it's not scary, right? Yeah. You haven't found it. Yeah. If it's yeah. If it's because then it's just on the surface. Yeah. It's just on the surface. If it doesn't scare you a little bit to put it down. Um, you know, I do these exercises sometimes in classes that are performance based and sometimes people will not want to do them. Writers will, they won't want to do them. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm a writer. You know, I don't want to do this performance thing. They think it's going to be easier on the page, hmm. but it isn't easier on the page. People are still going to see it. People, you're still going to be afraid that people are going to judge you. All those things are still going to be true. Or know it's about you. Or, right. You know, right. All those yeah, things yeah. are still going to be true. And uh, sometimes it's even harder on the page. So I'm giving people a safe space to explore and to do this sort of these performance exercises. And you see people choke 
and they don't want to do it. Um, and um, they sit there almost, I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah. But that's what writing is. It's terrifying. It, when you're doing it well and you're digging deep, it's a terrifying thing. Um, and maybe that's another reason that people um, avoid learning too much about it, right? Because it will require something of them, right? If you keep it on the surface, if you keep it about having quirky characters, if you keep it about having right. clever dialogue, if you keep it about all these things that are sort of on the outside, then you don't have to go very deep. Mm-hmm. But once you start learning the principles and start learning the power of those principles and how they can help help you connect with an audience and how they can help you hmm. pass on survival information to an audience, we talked about it today. What that means is all of a sudden you have a responsibility and that responsibility can be overwhelming. Hmm. So if you keep it on the surface, you don't have a responsibility. Well, what's funny about that is just that, that idea of if you keep it on surface, you know, then uh, you can focus on the gear, the pencils, right? right? Or you can avoid, you know, or you can keep it about your ego, or you can keep it about, um, you know, uh, style for it. Pretty much that idea answers almost, I think, all of the questions we were asking earlier, right? Yeah. Where it avoids you from actually having to go there. Yeah. And there is the emotionally true piece. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, it doesn't have to be factually true. Yeah. Right? Um for instance, the actor I was talking about who did the Marty thing, um, so, you know, I'm a fat, ugly little man, and he's not really a fat guy. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not really overweight yeah. or anything. Um, and he's gay, so he's not trying to attract women, right? right? But the emotional truth was real. Yeah. The way he felt about who he was was real. Yeah. Um, and you could feel that way and be, you know, good looking yeah, or be, sure. yeah, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 how you feel is a different thing than what's really going on, yeah. right? So um, people often confuse truth with facts. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and the truth is much more important than the facts. Yeah. Right? So to get at that emotional truth, and that's Stuart Stern was very good at getting at that emotional truth. Um, that was his one of his real strengths. Uh, one of his real gifts, and and that requires something of you. Um, you leave a little bit of your soul on the page when you do that, and um, um, and that hurts a little bit. But it it speaks to people differently. It speaks to people more deeply. Hmm. Um, you you will you will move people, and it won't be cheap, and it won't be formulaic, and it won't be about the rules. Yeah. You know, the rules, are ju- they just help you get there. Yeah. So that you can bring something to the page that only you could do. Right. Because that's also what's really beautiful about the process, too, is like, I mean, I don't know who else could have written Freeman. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I've read your stuff, and I don't think I've read anything you've read. I was like, oh, yeah, I could picture this person writing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, those things, and because that's that's all coming from the writer, right? Right. Um, yeah, that's the part that you bring. Right, everybody's worried about their ego, but they and and standing out. Yeah. Right, but they they're doing that by concentrating on the surface, right, or the way that they structure something versus somebody else or whatever, uh, but not by going deep and telling some emotional truth about themselves. Yes. Yeah. No, they're focused on they're fiddling with the parsley. 
Yeah. Right. On the side. It's like, no, 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 stop. Avoid it. You're just avoiding. Right. But if you feel like a failure, for instance. Yeah. Well, if you can put that on the page and be yeah. honest about what that feeling is like. Yeah. It'll be dynamite. Yeah. And it will pull people in because everybody knows what that feels like. Right. right. And it's true. Right. It could be about a mouse. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't is. matter. Yeah. It's, as long as, like you're saying, it's the emotional uh, undercurrent and what you're bringing to the piece is genuine. Yeah. And actors do the same thing. It's very much like being an actor, right? So Tom Hanks says when he was doing playing Woody and and Woody was afraid that, you know, that um, Andy was going to grow up and leave him behind. He said, he you know, he was taught when he was doing those scenes, he was thinking about his kids. Hmm. Right. Because that's emotionally true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My kids are oh, getting grow older. Up and, and yeah. Right. Sure. Um. That's what he was thinking about because he had to tap into something real. Yeah. Even though he's playing a toy. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter. That's just on the surface. But if you get it at real emotional truth, it will speak to people. You can't tell me Toy Story doesn't speak to people. Sure. Or Zootopia or like the, any of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, animals don't actually talk, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they'll resonate with people because they're, they're, like you said, it's the truth is the facts. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. Toys don't talk. But it's true. Yeah. Right. As long as the writers put that in there. That's why I, every story, every good story is a true story. Hmm. I don't, I don't like the term Man, true story. Every good story is a true story. Why don't you like the term? Because the because the term true story relies on facts. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But you can have all the facts and not tell the truth. A hundred percent. Right. So I don't like the term true story because I think it's a lie. Yeah. Because a true story is just a good story. Right. All, yeah. The boy who cried wolf never happened. Yeah. It happens every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Right? Uh-huh. The tortoise and the hare, right? Yeah. Happens every day. It happens every day. Of course, it's true. Yeah. And that's why it works. That's why it works, yeah. Um, but are you willing to tell the truth is the question. Yeah, that's the hard, that's the hard <laughs> thing. To yourself, to the other people around you. Yeah. Um, and here's the trick about being emotionally true. Now, when I talk about the guy playing Marty, here's what happens when you tell the truth. Here's what you're afraid of. You're afraid that you're going to say that thing about yourself, that you feel like a failure or that you feel unattractive or you feel unworthy or whatever it is you feel. You're afraid you're going to put that down and everybody's going to know that about you. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happens. What happens is you put that down and everybody thinks, how did he know that about me? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's what yeah. happens. Right. Nope. That totally makes sense. Yeah. You disappear. Yeah. When you do it. Still not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange thing, but that's exactly that's what like happens. It's like magic. Yeah. Yeah. And we love it when other people are willing to do it for us. Yeah. That's when you're sitting in a dark theater and you watch it and you go, oh, man, I'm so glad somebody made that. Or Yeah. You feel uh, thankful. I've, I've, I've had lots of times where I've watched a movie and I was like, I'm so thankful for those people that they did that. Yeah. They made that thing. Whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, um, yeah. So I, I think that that can be helpful for people to know because it can help alleviate that fear. 
Yeah. And, and honestly, the funny thing is like when we first started talking about this, that's where we, we never really know where our conversations are going to go. But I think no. this is such a really great thing because it, it honestly, it went back and really answered where a lot of this is coming from to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, well, let's talk about the actual problem. Right. 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 Yeah. Get to the heart of it. Yeah. Yeah. What are you scared of? Yeah. Right. What don't you want to talk about? Yeah. And in fact, um, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I yeah. know you were trying to round. No, no, no. Go ahead. Up. Yeah. One of the things that people have the hardest time with is an armature. Having a point is the biggest. Like if I go into a studio or something and they're like, we have all these things. It's almost like they have a bunch of ingredients and they have no idea what to cook. Hmm. Right. Well, we got eggs and flour and, and the best, the best yeah. steak in the world. I yeah. mean, they, can, they, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. But they have no idea what to cook. And so you're like, well, what do you want to cook? Well, I don't know. We could cook anything. Yeah. But what do you want to cook? Right. Well, uh, we want to make pasta. Okay. Well, then we don't need this and we don't need that. And we don't. Oh, but I like that. Hmm. I like chocolate. We're making pasta. But yeah. everybody likes chocolate. We're making pasta. Yeah. If you want to make something with chocolate, do that another time. Right. Right. And so that's what happens, right? People have all these things that they like. I like this scene. I like this thought, this thing, this idea. I like this character. And um, they're not willing to part with it because having something to say means that there's some precision there. And it means that you have to cut out the fat and things that don't have anything to do with making that particular point. Um, and a lot of people know they want to tell a story, but don't know what they want to tell a story about. Yeah. Uh, they know they want to, you know, write a screenplay, but don't know what they, you know, they know what they want people to say, right? <laughs> but they don't know what it's about. What are you, what are you saying? Forget about what people are saying. What are you saying? Right. You know, are yeah. you saying, oh, we're all worthy of forgiveness? Or yeah. are you saying, you know what I mean? What are you saying? Yeah. What are you willing to sacrifice for? Yeah. Because that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah. It's like, are you willing to go through the pain of putting that down? Right. Right? Yeah. So Because if it's, if it's, because you know what it's like. Like, when you really want to dig into that stuff, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy. The surface level stuff, exactly what you're saying, is always easy. Yeah. And in the agency side, is what we run into where it's like, oh, it's a cool design. It's like, okay. Right. Yeah, sure. It looks cool. What does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Right? Or, hey, we got this person to do the voiceover. Oh, great. Yeah. That, they're a famous person. Why is why that person? Yeah. Or we got this music. Okay, great. That's a big band. What is that? All the all that stuff is easier to put your finger on mm-hmm. than actually having to do the hard work of figuring out what am I about? Right. Like, what am I about as a person? What do I have to give to the other people? It, it used to be we'd all be sitting around a campfire and be like, what do I have to give to the other people in this tribe? Right. That I had to go through a ton of pain mm-hmm. to learn and be able to learn it well enough to go, you don't want to miss this. Right. Right. In fact, I'm going to say it in front of everybody because I care enough about the people around me to go through the pain of reliving the whatever it is that got me to learn that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really basic stuff. It is basic. Yeah. But we think past the basic a lot. Well, it's easier that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. People find these little these things to, on the d- surface. Then to write that line. The, then to write that Marty line. Yeah. Right? right. Like he had to sit down and write Marty. Right. And I don't know. It's what got Pat legs. Is, I don't yeah. know what Patty Jenkins got. Right. But he did. He did. He built. He wrote something so well. It's like what do you say? How many times did they do it on? T- like you were like, well, it played here live. Well, they it. did. They okay. So they 
they they performed it. This was live television, yeah. right in the fifties, nineteen fifty-four. Marty plays live on television because yeah. there was no such thing as videotape, right? And then it was a big hit, and people loved it, and they wrote the network, and they said, "Hey, um, can you show Marty again? Or we want to see Marty again." So they had to get the actors together again and reperform it. And people wrote, and they said, we really like Marty. We want to see Marty again. And so then they made a movie of Marty, which won Best Picture in 1955. Um, so, people, so three times. Yeah. And I'm saying, well, obviously, he's an incredible writer. I mean, yeah, right? Patty but, but I'm just saying, like, he was willing to sit down and do that. He was willing to sit down and bleed, at, you know what I mean, and yeah. write those lines. And look how it affected people. Yeah. When it runs twice, fine. you know what? We just need to make a movie. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And people still talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, people do still talk about it. Anybody who saw it back in the 50s, uh, it was mind-blowing to them. Um, what do you think it was that was mind-blowing to them in that context? Like, you know, that... Well, that's a whole different thing. I think um, Pat Echevsky had an interesting theory about television writing versus movie writing. Huh. And he, his idea was that television happens in your living room. And so what you write for television was like living room drama, like stuff that could really happen that was small. He goes, it's a small medium. You should tell small stories on it about regular people. Interesting. Yeah, that's the way he felt about it. And that's so, a really interesting insight. Yeah, and so... He was a smart guy. He seemed like a pretty smart guy. <laughs> he was yeah. pretty smart. <laughs> well, that... Those guys, that yeah. group, it's crazy. Yeah. Who was writing on TV at the time, yeah, right? sure. Because you had him, uh-huh. right? And then you had Rod Serling uh-huh. writing live television before the right. Twilight Zone, right? Yeah. And you had Reginald Rose who wrote wrote Twelve Angry Men, uh-huh. right? Like, and I'm missing people like Tad Moselle, who's less yeah, famous, yeah, now, yeah. but but there's yeah Neil yeah, Simon was yeah. writing for uh, Sid Caesar, but you, it was crazy who was writing then. Yeah. Um, they were all very smart. If you read what they said, they were all very very smart about what they were doing and how they were doing it and why they were doing it. They had they all had methods that make sense. But the method is what saves you mm-hmm. because the deadlines those people had, right? Like that's what I was trying to explain to some in folks around here where, where we, we would get a deadline where it'd be like, we only got a week. And I'd be like, no, that's good. Yeah. That's good because, you know, if you actually study what people used to have to do, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. We have to get used to because you get too precious about things where it's right. like, you know, these guys, they got to put a show up. Right. Right. It's like, how many shows are we doing this season? Well, it's like, how long were seasons back then? Well, yeah, like if you were doing a show like after the live television, like just uh, like maybe early 60s and stuff like that, like the Fugitive television yeah. show, they had 22 shows in a season. Yeah, you got 22. So we got 22 shows this season. Yeah. You don't have to go like, ah, oh. it's like, you need, you better have a method. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you got it. Come on. Yeah. And they got to be great. Yeah. 22. Think yeah. about that. Now it's like eight shows in yeah. a season. Yeah. And you got to shoot it. You got to do all of it. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's what we do. We're professional writers. I, and that's why I don't know how you could do that without a method. I just don't know how you could do it. I don't know. Either. It would crush you. Yeah. Well, you know, what, you know, go find a cave to sit in for three years and come out with a great script. It's like, <laughs> well, no. Yeah. You're like, hey, it's Thursday. And I need a script on Monday. Yeah. That's the way. It, yeah. That's the way it is. TV still, uh, it's a relentless thing. It always needs to be fed. It burns up material so yeah. much. Um, but back in the sixties and, and seventies and, uh, eighties, boom, you got to turn them out. 
You got to turn them out. You got to figure it out. You know, uh, I mean, not one or two people like that. Several people yeah, writing sure. scripts, but still, best ones rose to the top, though. Yes, and those guys had other people in the room with them too, mm-hmm. right? Because they'll mention other people. Where I mean, like when you start Billy, who does Billy talk about? Oh right, right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like Lubitsch or whatever. Like he, like yeah. they had other oh, people. Other people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So those did. guys were smart enough to go. Well, if I got to go in the room, <laughs> I mean, I know Billy had writing partners, but but, but I know they, he'd mean. also mention other other directors and writers. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, and he wasn't had, there by himself. No, and he had it on his wall. Um, right. Yeah. No. Uh, well, he did what, what say, Lubitsch do? Yeah. Yeah. He would have that on his wall. But that's what I mean. Yeah. It was there as almost a way of having him in the room to be like, if he get, here's how I would do it. Would, Lubitsch would have a better solution. Right. What right? Ernst Lubitsch do? Yeah. Yeah. I actually find that that's um, really helpful. Like when I'm taking pictures, I think if there was a better photographer here, what picture would he take? Because it makes you think differently. Yeah. Right. So when I'm writing and I think, well, what would Billy Wilder do? What would Rod Serling do? Um, it, it it takes me someplace else. No, I have all those photos next to my desk. Yeah. It's the first time you came to the office, I was like, don't be weirded out, your photos up here. <laughs> yeah. Because when I'm, if I'm writing something, I'll think, it's, I think about Kurosawa, the way he, he went after details. Mm-hmm. And I would think about it, this person and the way, and every writer up there, even if I'm editing, I got Dorothy Booth is up there, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she was a, what, always cut for emotion, right? And so I have these people on my wall to just go, Okay, well, you know, because they all had a different thing right. to bring to the table, right? Yeah. I'm sure it looks weird as hell when people come. They're like, why do you have all these people up there? And it's like, I don't, because it's built for a th- specific thing. Right. It's built so that I can go, you know, consider all these great people I get to learn from. Right. I have the same thing in my office. I, I have, I don't have as oh, many yeah, pictures. Oh, yeah, you got Rod and, yeah, I have yeah, Rod yeah. Sur- big Rod Serling yep. picture, big picture of Rod Serling, picture of Billy Wilder. And a Schindler's List poster. Yeah. Right? Because I'm just, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it helps you. I just like that visual you gave earlier. I would have never thought about that. And I just thought it was super helpful of like, listen, if you're going in the room, you don't want to go in alone. You know, Rod Serling will come help you. (laughs) Really? Yeah, right. Rod will come help you. Yeah. Here's his DVDs. Here's the books. Do you want to, it's like, I don't want to, oh, you want me to read all this? You want me to write? It's like, yeah. Do you want Rod to come with you? Yeah. It was like, Billy will come with you, too. Yeah. Right? You want to read this? You want to watch this? Right. But that, that woman who asked me about how to engage an audience? She did. could add Hitchcock with her. Yeah. Didn't want him in the room. Man, that's a great visual. It's super helpful. And maybe that's a little thing that can get you motivated to, like, actually watch, you know, I don't know, Hitchcock, or if anybody's listening to this, or, you know, it's just like, well, who do you wish was in the room with you next time you sat down? Right. And write down the name of all those people, and then just get them in the room with you. Yeah. Study them, study them, study them, study them. And, and then their voice, will, their voice will be there. Yeah. That's a great tip. I really like that. I like that visual. It's a great oh, visual. Yeah. All right. So really it came down to what are, you, what, are you hi- what are you scared of? Yeah. What's that true thing that you're actually hiding from behind your technique or behind not listening to people or whatever? Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, like, I love that the good news is that you don't have to be by yourself in these rooms. No, you don't. You're but not. it's up to you. Yeah. Otherwise, but you don't have to be alone. It's always good news. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Next time on You Are a Storyteller. Today, really what we're going to do is almost taking a step back. Okay. Right? And talking about why we wanted to do this in the first place. Like, why is it worth constructing a story? Thanks for watching You Are a Storyteller. 
If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at believeagency.com. <laughs>